Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to subscribe to our Journey Callaway YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you right there. The past years reminded me of three truths that have changed my life, and I'm going to share them with you in this new series, My Last 365. So on March 8th, 2020, I was helping pack everything up after another Sunday at the CFSB Center when a friend who volunteers at our church and works in the healthcare industry stopped me and he said, hey, are you paying attention to this coronavirus issue? And I was like, well, I've heard of it. And then he said, okay, well, just so you know, we may need to shut down services for two or three weeks if it starts to get bad. And that caught me completely off guard, but I trust this guy. And so I said, you know what? You just let me know. And then for the next three days, I went back to life just like it was normal. I gave it zero thought until that Wednesday, March 11th, when all of us had our worlds turned upside down, didn't we? Two days later, I find myself announcing we're having no in-person services for the upcoming Sunday. That felt like a big deal. And then it was no services for three weeks and then no services for three months. And you know the rest of the story. That turned into a full year of no Sunday services for us. And over the past year, I have had more than one person look at me and say, you know, Matt, by the time you get back to meeting, there's not even going to be a church left. Now, I never actually believed that was true, but I'm going to be honest. I wasn't sure what kind of church would be left. I mean, nobody knew what to expect. Nobody knew what people were going to do. And then to complicate matters even more for us, we were in the middle of building our first facility. So here we are building a building for a church that might not even need a building or at least the same kind of building and the same size of building. So then I had people asking me questions like, all right, well, what if most people don't come back to Journey? What if half the people decide they're going to stop attending? What if people decide that our mission isn't worth investing in anymore? Those are all questions that I was wrestling with. So I just thought I'd tell you what was happening behind the scenes. Personally, I found myself having to make decisions around whether to focus on let's make sure we survive as a church or focus on accomplishing our mission. In other words, do we keep practicing no-strings-attached generosity while we watch giving decrease? Or do we save as much cash as we possibly can? I mean, saving cash is clearly the safer thing to do, and I like safe, personally. I had to ask questions like, do we keep moving forward with what God's leading us to do? Or do we play it safe and only do those things that we know we can do and handle right now? Basically, for me, I have felt like the last 365 days have been one long crisis that's tested my faith and my trust and my belief in God. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I know I'm not alone. You've had your own version of the same thing, haven't you? You've had difficult decisions. You've had stressful moments in the last year. But here we are, 365 days later, And while we're not out of the crisis completely, most of us definitely see better days ahead. But I'm bringing it back up because I don't think it's wise to move forward without us first looking back and identifying some of these truths that the last 365 days have taught us. So for the next three episodes, here's what I want to do. I want to help us to pause, to reflect, and to internalize what we've learned that will be useful for us to carry into the future. Because if we've got to go through it, and we did, well, we might as well be better for it. 
So, if you're not a church person, let me start here. If you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, I bet one of the things that bothers you about Christians is that we often resist the God that we say we trust. In other words, we don't always behave like we say we believe. We know God says forgiving is the best thing to do, but then we resist forgiving. We hold a grudge. We know God says generosity is a loving thing to do, but then we resist giving. The average Christian gives about 2% of their income away. There's no other way to say it other than that's just selfish and pathetic, isn't it? We believe honesty is the healthiest way to handle things, but sometimes as Christians we deceive just because we want to avoid paying the price of honesty. Christians have a knack for resisting the God that we say we trust, and there is a word for that. You already know what it is. It is hypocrisy. At some point, all of us who are Christians are hypocrites, and some of us have become pros at it, haven't we? But if that drives you crazy about Christians, maybe you can cut us a little slack, because you've got to admit, it's really hard to surrender control to a God that we cannot see. It's really hard to follow his agenda when we have our own agendas, just being honest. That's why we often choose to believe one thing and then behave very differently. Now, as you might expect, this is not a new problem. Religious people have majored in hypocrisy for centuries. Matter of fact, when Jesus was on this earth, his strongest words were directed at the hypocrisy of the most religious people in his time. One of them was a leader named Joseph Caiaphas. He went by Caiaphas, the name Caiaphas, and Caiaphas was the high priest during Jesus' adult life. He controlled the temple in Jerusalem. He controlled the entire Judaic religion. He was the leader of the Sanhedrin, which was a ruling body that was made up of these two religious slash political groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I tell you all that because you just need to know Caiaphas had power, he had money, he had influence, he had connections, and Caiaphas had control. We all love control. But Caiaphas also had a problem. Jesus had all the crowds. Whenever Jesus taught, hundreds and sometimes thousands of people would gather around him and listen to him. And those crowds made both the Roman and the Jewish rulers nervous, which made Jesus a problem for Caiaphas. Eventually, everything reached a breaking point, but it wasn't because of some content that Jesus had taught. This is what's so odd about it. It was actually because of compassion that Jesus showed. Have you ever heard of a guy named Lazarus? Well, Lazarus lived with his two sisters, Mary and Martha, in a town just outside of Jerusalem. The town was called Bethany. And Jesus was close friends with this whole family. So one day, word gets to Jesus. He's in another place at the time. Word gets to him that Lazarus has died. And by the time Jesus gets to Bethany, Lazarus has already been buried in a tomb. He's been there for four days. As was Jewish custom, there's this large crowd of friends and family who were staying with Mary and Martha. They're mourning the death of their brother. And to make a really long story short, Jesus shocks them all by bringing Lazarus back to life. He goes to the tomb. He calls out his name and says, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And Lazarus walks right out of the tomb. And if you're sitting there thinking, Matt, how could you believe that? That's totally unbelievable. Who brings dead people back to life? I get it. But as unbelievable as it was, it was also undeniable because there were so many people there who were eyewitnesses. So you can imagine what happened next. I'm going to let John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, describe it to us. In John 12, he wrote this. He said, now the crowd that was with Jesus when he called Lazarus from the tomb and he raised him from the dead, well, they continued to spread the word. Because if you saw that happen, you would tell everybody about it too, wouldn't you? John goes on, he says, many people 
because they had heard that Jesus had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, the reason that John had all this insider information was because after Jesus' resurrection, some of these Pharisees who had followed Caiaphas' leadership, they actually switched teams, flipped sides, and they became Jesus' followers. And so they're telling John, you know, a few years, a couple of years after the fact, well, you can't imagine how frustrated we were. We tried everything, but Jesus' crowds just kept growing bigger, and he, he kept being a bigger and bigger threat to our power. We couldn't figure out how to stop it. And so what happened was this. Caiaphas calls an emergency meeting. John writes this. He says, then the chief priest and the Pharisees, that would be who Caiaphas led, they called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. They brought all these different religious groups together. And they ask, what are we accomplishing? Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, they said, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans are going to come, and they're going to take away both our temple and our nation. Now, here's what's so ironic about that. The job of the Sanhedrin was actually, first and foremost, to watch for the Messiah's coming and make sure the Jewish people didn't miss it. And now here's the Messiah right in front of them. But they don't want anyone to believe in him. Why? Well, because they knew. And this is where the story gets so personal for us. They knew that to embrace Jesus would require letting go of their agenda. To say that's the Messiah would mean they had to surrender. They would have to give up their power and their control. And in their mind, probably their wealth. It was going to cost them deeply. And so they did what we've all been tempted to do. They just resisted God to protect their plans. And this is right where we find ourselves in the middle of the story, don't we? See, this year we have all found ourselves, I know I have, wanting to fight to protect our plans, to protect our agendas. We found ourselves resisting the idea that we can trust God with all the uncertainty of the future and all the uneasiness of our current circumstances. We found ourselves afraid of what we might lose. And that's exactly what Caiaphas and the rest of the Sanhedrin were feeling. So here's what happens next in their meeting. John says, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. And here's what Caiaphas said. He said, you guys know nothing at all. You don't realize it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Now remember, John is writing down this account a few years after the events happened. And he's got the perspective of time now. So looking back, John adds this. He says, Caiaphas did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. Now, I think when John wrote this, he had a smile on his face because looking back, he realized Caiaphas, when he said this, he had no idea. Caiaphas thought killing Jesus would end the Jesus movement, but what he did multiplied it. That in trying to fight God's will, Caiaphas participated in it. In trying to resist God's will, he cooperated with it. And then John writes, So from that day on, they, Caiaphas and the religious leaders, plotted to take Jesus' life. Now think about that statement. They actually thought they could take Jesus' life from them. I mean, they were way overestimating their power. How do you take the life of the author of life? How do you take the life of someone who just gave life to the dead? They just saw him raise a man. 
from the dead to life. Now, Jesus, you're not going to take his life. He gave his life freely. No one had the power to take it from him. But let's be honest. We all think we have more control than we do, don't we? We all think we have more power than we do. You, you think you can plan your future and control your outcomes. So do I. But let's be honest. You don't have that power. You think you can resist God's agenda? You think you can live out a better one on your own? I have too at times, but we're not that smart. It doesn't stop us from trying, though. And in the process, we all miss out because here's the thing. God will let us resist him. He just won't let us stop him from accomplishing his purposes. The truth is, there's a little bit of Caiaphas in all of us, isn't there? We say or think things like, God, the minute you infringe on what I value, then I'm done. I'm resisting. I'm fighting. I'm not going to follow you anymore. You can help me, God, to get what I want. You can get out of my way, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to fight to protect my plans, to protect my reputation, to protect my hopes and dreams. God, I'm going to protect my money, my security, my life. I'm going to protect what matters most to me at all costs. But in my experience, I have learned that never works because I do not have the ability to protect anything, which leads me to the first truth that my last 365 days reminded me of. Truth number one is this. Freedom is found on the other side of surrender. Freedom, which is what we all want to experience, is actually found on the other side of surrender. Surrender is scary, isn't it? We all resist surrendering because it's terrifying. It's filled with fear on this side. As I'm thinking about surrendering something, I'm scared to death. But once you let go of control, once you trust God enough not to hold on to that thing but to do what he says with it, when you discover you don't lose when you surrender, you actually gain. You gain freedom. You see, once I'm willing to let go and hold things with an open hand, I'm free to be at peace because I can trust God is for me. I'm free to wake up every day, and no matter how difficult the challenges are in my life or in your life, we're confident God's with us, and he's working in us, and he's through us. In other words, we can be confident he'll bring positives from whatever pain we may experience. When you surrender, you're free to be confident that even if you lose, well, you win as long as you're following God because you just believe he's got a higher purpose for you. I'm just telling you, this has been so helpful to me over the last year as people have looked at me and said, Matt, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid 15 years of work is going to disappear because you're not meeting in person? Aren't you afraid you're not going to have enough money to keep things going? Aren't you concerned that you're building a facility that you're not even going to be able to fund? And I'm telling you, all of those questions were real possibilities. Some of them still are, if I'm going to be honest. But I had to wrestle with whether I would let my decisions be driven by those fears of uncertainty and doubt or whether I would choose to keep doing what God had said to do and just trust that what he said was true. In other words, I had to decide to surrender. And here's what that looked like in my situation. Surrendering meant acknowledging that our church, what's God's church? He gets to do whatever he wants to do with it. So if he wants this church to continue to grow and reach more people, okay. But if he wants to shrink it and use some other church, that's okay too. My job's not to protect what we have. My job is just to trust him and obey. If he wants us to keep pursuing the mission he's given us, he'll provide whatever we need just when we need it. But if he wants to end our church, well, he's got the right to do that too. 
And I know he's got a bigger purpose for it. But here's what I discovered. The minute I chose to surrender that, well, I didn't feel the pressure to try to control all the outcomes anymore. My job is just to do whatever he says and trust him with the outcome. So the great thing is when I surrendered, well, I actually found freedom. I found the freedom to do what I believe to be the next right thing, even if it was hard. I found the peace to move forward even though everything was uncertain and I found the freedom to make difficult choices but to do it confident that God was leading me and I really could trust the outcome to his hands. In other words, if it works out, I win, but if it doesn't and I lose, I still win as long as I know I did what God asked me to do. It's a bit surprising, but freedom is always found on the other side of surrender and that freedom, that peace, that confidence. Come on, that's exactly what some of you are needing right now too, isn't it? But you got to let go. you got to stop trying to control everything. So here's my question for you. Are you resisting God? Do you feel this pressure right now to preserve, to protect something you built, something you have, something you've created, something you've accomplished? Listen, that pressure will actually drive you to self-destruct. Eventually, it'll cost you everything if you keep trying to hold on to it. We see it every time somebody sacrifices their family just to maintain a standard of living or every time somebody compromises morally to maintain a relationship. You see it every time people cash in their ethics to get what they want or somebody lies to prop up their reputation or they choose to take a shortcut because they feel the pressure to succeed. When you try to protect and preserve, it costs you. So what are you holding on to that you need to surrender? What do you need to open up your hand and say, God, I'm just going to place this in your hand. I'm going to do what I think you want me to do, and I'm going to trust you with the outcome. Do not make the mistake of trying to hold on to this thing yourself. You will always regret that. Unfortunately, Caiaphas never learned this, and then by trying to control things, he eventually lost everything. You see, three days after the crucifixion, Caiaphas thought he had won, and then Jesus walked out of his own tomb, and there was nothing Caiaphas could do about that. And if you follow Jewish history, by AD 70, the temple and the religion of Judaism that Caiaphas had once led, well, both of them had been destroyed and they were no more. But most of all, Caiaphas lost the opportunity to know and to follow God in human flesh right in front of him. And he missed that opportunity to know Jesus simply because he, because he put his agenda above God's. Think about it. God was standing right there looking into Caiaphas' eyes and he missed the chance to have a personal, trusting relationship with Jesus because he wouldn't surrender. So don't make that mistake. Surrendering to God, I'm not going to lie to you, it will cost you something. But failing to surrender will cost you even more. The one who died for you is the one inviting you to let go, to surrender. Not because he wants something from you, but because surrender is what's best for you. Freedom is always found on the other side of surrender. And listen, for you, it is one open hand away. So will you join me in remembering? Will you join me in believing? That God, I can love you and I can trust you because your mercy never fails me. Will you remember all my days, God, I've been held in your hands. You've taken care of me. So here's what I'm going to do in the middle of all my pressure. 
From the moment that I wake up until the moment I lay down my head, I'm just going to sing of your goodness and I'm going to remind myself, you have never failed me. You have proven you love me. I can trust you. Will you choose to trust God and then do what anyone would do who is confident that God is with them and for them? Will you let go and trust him? Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey Calway app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church, be sure to visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.